And welcome back to Superhero Cinema, the weekly show about superheroes on TV, in the movies, and in comic books. I'm Michael. I'm Jefferson. And I'm Jonathan. And this is issue number 18 for the end of September 2007. So first up, we've got some reviews and another one of uh, my interviews from Comic-Con. First up, I wanted to, before we get to anything else, give a shout-out to a comic book store, uh, Bridge City Comics in Portland, Oregon. This is actually uh, the store that Jefferson shops at. It's a great shop. One of the, I think probably the best one in Portland that I've seen in the year that I've been here so far. Wonderful shop. Uh, Michael and Cameron are the owners, and they're both great. Uh, nice, clean, simple store. Not a lot of toys and other stuff in it. They really focus on the, the books, the comics, and the, the trade paperbacks and uh, if you're ever in portland uh, definitely look it up and give it a visit it's a great shop it is not an actual advertisement for them because they haven't paid us but uh but the owner of it michael he actually has been sending emails to uh jefferson and he's been forwarding them on to us having comments on the show um kind of letting us know how we're doing telling us how much he likes it which is cool but not only that he actually put an entry in their uh newsletter email newsletter that they send out to customers telling them about the show so uh, i thought that that was cool and i figured i'd uh, return the favor and give them a little shout out here yeah so welcome any bridge city comics patrons joining us today and any other comic stores out there, if you uh, want to contact us and let us know about you, and uh, we might mention you next. Um, so next up, I wanted to uh, give you the promised review of Silver Surfer that Jonathan said he was going to do. Take it away, Jonathan. I did say I was going to do that, didn't I? Well, uh, yeah, there's a Silver Surfer miniseries that uh, just finished up. It was written by J. Michael Straczynski, who seems to be doing practically all the good writing for Marvel nowadays. And it was uh, painted by Isad Ribic. I think that's how you say his name. And uh, the basis, the premise for the story uh, is, is called Silver Surfer Requiem. And uh, the premise is that um, the mechanism the, that protects a silver surfer that surrounds his body is actually a, uh, a mechanical object. And so it's apparently with, with any sort of mechanical object, as I know in, in my house, it breaks down. And so for the silver surfer, the, the covering that is protecting him from the cosmos and from, from dying, basically, is deteriorating. He's got about a month to live, and he contacts Reed Richards. He confirms this, and so the miniseries is just going through Silver Surfer's his thoughts, what he's going to do with these last days of his life. And uh, issue number four uh, just came out this month, and um, I mean it was just a, a fantastic run, a fantastic story. I mean it seems like it's actually the Silver Surfer's last days, as far as I know, and Marvel continuity. This is it for for Norn Red. He's Spends the, fir- spends the first issue on Earth, and then he uh, he visits everybody, and he goes out into the cos goes out into the cosmos, and um, and it all wraps up in, in issue number four with a, a visit from Galactus, and I mean it was it was really heart wrenching. It's uh, beautifully written. It's a uh, very slow paced, very um, honoring of uh, Silver Surfer and all of his accomplishments, all the the char- almost all the characters he's run into. Except for my my favorite, Thanos. He didn't make an appearance in this one. But uh, it was really good. It was really great. I'd highly recommend picking it up. I mean, it is a little expensive. It's uh, 4 bucks per issue. But it's definitely uh, worth picking up. Because, I mean, if you've ever read any of the Silver Surfer stories or uh, gone to know him as a character, I mean, it's, it's just fantastic. It, it'll really move you and bring a tear to your eye. I'm sure they'll probably come out with a trade pretty soon uh, that i would imagine and collected of the four issues oh yeah. definitely i mean this is marvel they almost always come out with a uh, a trade practically the same year that the issues come out so did it end on a negative or a positive note did it, i mean it do do any kind of like the regular movie you know like promise of of a future like new surfer or rebirth or well 
I mean, no, I don't want you to ruin it, was, it too much uh, first. Yeah, I don't right. want to ruin it for anybody who's who's planning on going out and picking it up. But um, it uh, it did end honestly with him dying, and I mean, as I expected, I didn't expect him to cop out. On, yeah, this you know, is called record issue, yeah. exactly. But uh, at the very end, um, it just kind of ended. There was no possibility for a sequel. Not really much possibility for him coming back either. Oh, there's and always a possibility for him coming back. Yes. You never know. There's it no final possible. death in comics. Yeah. I mean, how many how many times has Phoenix died in the X Men comics? That's true. Quite 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 a few. I and mean, that's why she's a Phoenix, right? To be reborn. Be reborn. Reborn. Yeah. I mean, even Gwen Stacy came back. I mean, yeah. yeah. I think, Everyone I, comes I back. I think pretty much the only one who hasn't come back is Gwen Stacy's father. Right. Just, oh, he'll just, be back. Uncle just Ben has not come back other than in dream sequences or alternate universes. Thank goodness for that. It'd be heresy for us Spider-Man readers. Yeah. But but for this one, I mean, there is no intention, no possible setup for him coming back. So, How about any hint of like the cosmic power or that shell that that was breaking up on him being passed on to anyone else or anything like that? Well, I'll let the readers check it out and see okay. what they think. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to more. I mean, the uh, interesting note on that, uh, I was just double-checking while you were saying that to make sure that, yeah, uh, Straczynski did write that. And uh, that's interesting because we reported a couple months ago that he has actually been tapped to write a potential Silver Surfer script as a spinoff from the Fantastic Four movie. They kind of left that opening for, for them to have a, a Silver Surfer movie by himself, and he's writing a possible script for that. Which is really interesting. I mean, it's great that you've got the Surfer you know, in the movie lore, in the, the Marvel movie universe alive and well, and he'll have you know his adventure. Hopefully, if this movie comes together, but in the Marvel comics, he gets killed right as after the movie comes out. As soon as you know people start to become aware of who he is, they they kill him. And they do seem to have a uh, love hate relationship between the comics and, and the movies right now. At Marvel, it's, in some cases, they're trying to get them as together as possible so that they can have the comic book sales capitalize off the movies and the movies kind of feed from the comic books and have some kind of synergy there. But in other cases, they just are off. I mean, you've got Iron Man right now being kind of the most reviled character in Marvel at the same time as they're doing their first big budget, really hanging everything on the wall, uh, pinning their hopes on feature film for the character. And uh, I, you know, I, I don't know that they're that worried about that because generally, I mean, they're going for such a larger audience than the comic book audience, so they're not all that worried about that. But I mean, it's it's kind of more like the comics needing to follow the movies and trying to capitalize off the movie success because that's why we just spent an entire what four months with Spider-Man in a black costume was was pretty much to capitalize uh, from him being in the cap black costume in the movie. And uh, right after Superman Returns came out, they did they started a storyline in in Action Comics about Superman. A kid shows up who may or may not be Superman. Man's son, so they kind of on that thread. Yeah, but yeah with Iron Man, it's kind of a pity because now you know now that the trailer is hit, it, now we're at the point where people who may be intrigued and may want to learn more about the character are going to maybe there's a possibility that you would start looking at the comics and yeah, and more than that, they're 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 in the middle of such a big epic storyline that you know jumping into Iron Man at this point would be foolhardy. You know, you'd be so lost in the story because they're dealing with the the fallout from the, the Civil War, the big giant. Uh, story in there, figuring out you know what what the next big giant story is going to be. It'd be a terrible time to jump in. Yeah, it'll be Iron Man head of what Shield what? Yeah, so it's I mean yeah, it's kind of bad planning on Marvel's part. They're uh, 
there. I mean, I for the most part, you know, I didn't like, I didn't read Civil War, but and for the most part, I don't like those big crossovers. But I do applaud their willingness to make major changes to their characters. You know, they're not just doing the same old status quo all the time. But it's, at the same time, it's bad planning. There, there, there's some potential for picking up new readers that they're kind of losing out on, and that's something that the comics industry has been guilty of for a long time of not being very friendly to new readers and really kind of creating books that only hardcore fans will have any interest in. Yeah, and I honestly picked up this Silver Surfer miniseries because of the movie. It kind of rekindled my interest in the Surfer, and it was only four issues. Right, and yeah, and see, that's exactly the kind of, that's what I'm talking about. There, There's a potential for sales there that they're really kind of, it's not even that they're missing out on it, but they're actively, it's like they're actively discouraging new reader, which is incredibly foolish. That's that's pretty idiotic to to even unintentionally close yourself off from potential new customers. Well, let's go ahead and move on to another review. Um, both of you guys were able to uh, watch Superman Doomsday, the new animated movie from DC that we've been talking about for a while now. Uh, came out yesterday our time. We're recording this on the day after. So uh, why don't you go ahead and t- talk about it? You know, I rushed out and bought a copy on the day it came out and uh, rushed home and watched it as soon as I could, knowing that we were going to be recording the next day. And uh, I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. You know, as, as the first in, in the projected series of, of direct-to-video DC films, I think it was a good start. Um, one of the things that they, they talk about this a little bit on the extras on the, the DVD, that part of the point of the series of films is that each individual film will reflect the art style of the comics that it came from. And that really, I didn't find that to be the case at all with this one. It still looked pretty firmly like the standard uh, DC animated universe stuff that Bruce Timm has been doing since the Batman, the animated series and Superman and Justice League. It had some stylistic differences. You know, it was fairly clear that it wasn't meant to be a continuation of the the animated Superman series and having different voice actors kind of cemented that too. But uh, I thought it was good. I thought it was a good uh, story. It was a well-written Superman story for new readers, you know, it wasn't too bogged down in in continuity like the the comic book version of the Death of Superman was that it's based on. I liked all the voice characterizations. Adam Baldwin did a pretty good job as Superman. Um, he didn't seem to me initially like he'd be that great a choice, but I, I liked what he did with it. All the other voice actors were were fine. The only thing I didn't like about it was that obviously they had to simplify the story because the the story that they were telling is something that that took a year in four different Superman titles to, to tell all the way through. And so they had to simplify it quite a bit. And I understand that, but I felt like they maybe simplified it too much. The story didn't feel as epic as it should have been. The basic plot is that Superman gets in a fight with doomsday and he dies. And then he has to come back to fight this menace that happens. And, and it's the, the part after doomsday, after they deal with doomsday that, that felt a little thin to me. It didn't feel like there was enough going on. It seemed like they, they just oversimplified the story. And uh, maybe they were overcompensating for how complex that... that uh, well, because they did... The, in the comics, they did the reign of the Superman, where Superman dies and these four new characters show up to try to sort of take his place. And they narrowed that down a lot for the film. They really focused it down to basically one event that happens while Superman's gone that makes him come back. And I felt like they oversimplified it too much. It felt it felt like there were too few characters, and a lot of the major characters weren't in the film for that long. So, but you know, barring that, you know, maybe maybe overly simple. But but I felt like overall they did a good job with it. I thought it was a a, a good good seventy minute Superman story. Yeah, and I really enjoyed it too. I thought that uh, it was engaging, and it was 
not having you know been immersed in the DC universe or any of the Superman continuity, I didn't really know you know how much of of this was canon or how much of it was was accurate as far as the comics were. I mean, when the Death of Superman came out, I was probably like 99% of the comic buying public at the time. I rushed over to my comic book store the day it came out. I saw the hordes of people trying to find you know that issue because they had heard on the news, "Oh, Superman's dead! I want a copy." So I I had been reading and picking it up when uh, yeah when when this when I first heard about this, I was like, oh, that could be cool. But yeah, there's just so much to the story because, yeah, like you said, there was um, all the other characters in DC Universe who were helping him out to fight Doomsday. And yeah, for this story, they really narrowed the focus to just Superman, Doomsday, and Lois Lane and Jimmy are in there. I didn't really know quite what to expect. You know, when I first started watching, I was like, okay, animated, you know, maybe some, some kids might want to see this. Somebody who's maybe eight years old, Superman fan, he wants to come and, you know, watch a Superman movie. He's going to see it on the shelf there at Blockbuster and, you know, say, hey, let's rent that and want to watch it. Well, <laughs> this movie is not designed for anybody really under the age of like... 12. I mean, I would definitely give it a PG-13 rating. because And they did, actually. It says did. right on the cover of the... Yeah, you rented it, right? I did. I actually got it from Netflix, so I just it got actually, mine the little envelope. Uh, it, there's a, a label right on the box that says rated PG-13. Definitely. for. I mean, there's some pretty intense fight sequences in there. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I grew up on G.I. Joe and the Transformers type style violence where, you know, you get shot by a laser, you drop your gun, you go out and you go running off. The parachutes, whenever they shoot down a plane on G.I. Joe, I remember that. You'd always see the guys parachuting out of the plane. Yeah, you never get the the feeling that anybody really died and was a huge thing if somebody did. Yeah, that, and that's a good point you make that in Superman Doomsday, there is a lot of pretty violent action in it. You know, and there's a lot of death. actual death. Mm-hmm. And there's and gruesome death. You know, not just uh, off camera, but there's a lot of gruesome stuff. I mean, uh, it it I definitely deserved the PG-13 rating that it got. Yeah, and I guess that was kind of audience that they were looking for too. Yeah, in interviews with Bruce Tim, I know that he had said that they pitched a lot of ideas, a lot of concepts to to DC and Warner's about what they would have as their first story, and uh, they kept coming back with not adult enough. So I mean, they definitely wanted to establish something with the first title and kind of say that this is a more mature line of animated films. I think it's interesting that the DC line is definitely aiming itself that way, whereas the line of Marvel direct-to-video movies are now trying to aim younger with their Avengers Reborn, Young Avengers thing that they're doing. They're actively trying to aim their stuff now. Now that they've they've tried to do some stuff for, for an older audience, they're now trying to aim younger. So to, to wrap up for my, my review, I thought it was great. You know, I'm, I'm considering buying it because I would definitely watch it again. And, uh, you know, even knowing what happens and all the, the reveals that they have throughout the story. Uh, because, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just different enough from the, the comic story that I read to kind of keep me guessing a little bit, to not know exactly what was going to happen next. And I like that. I appreciated that. The, and the, for me, it uh, the fight so scenes long. were intense and mm-hmm. the, uh, the voice characters were, were dead on, I thought, as far as um, how I could imagine them. Lois was a little... Not quite aggressive enough, I thought. I thought that she did a good job helping out Superman, but uh, I think she she might have strayed a little bit from uh, being true to the, the lowest lane that I'm familiar with from the Superman comics. I thought she was a little over the top at first, but she seemed to settle down a little bit as the story progressed. And uh, yeah, I was I was surprised by how much I liked Adam Baldwin as as uh, Superman. I didn't think I was going to like him, considering what they did with the story. He, which I won't talk about too much because I don't want to give away too much of the story of the the DVD. 
because uh, it is a little different from the story in the comics. But for considering how the story progresses, he he was a good choice, and he did a good job with with the way he did the character. Yeah, as somebody who hasn't watched any of these previous shows before, I mean, I can definitely see somebody who's not familiar with any of the other uh, DC animated stuff just going in, watching this one, and enjoying it, you know, just in and of itself. So I definitely recommend it to anybody who uh, who's thinking about watching it. Did you watch any of the DVD extras, John? Not yet. That's uh, on my to-do list there because I'm I'm definitely intrigued. I mean, I want to know more about the story and more about how it all came together. Yeah, the that was uh, to me almost more entertaining than the film was the the making of extras. There's a whole little like 40 minute uh, extra about the making of the comic back in the 90s with interviews with all of the main writers and artists that worked on the the various Superman titles that led up to the the death of story and that was just fascinating usually those I find those things a little dull but this one was fascinating to to listen to they all had such uh, strong opinions about what the work that they had done and uh, it was really neat do you think uh, that the another, movie itself could have been longer? Do you think they, they could oh, have yeah. gone instead of 70 minutes, they could have made it like a 90-minute movie? Yeah, that, that I felt on all the animated so far. I, I know that when the first Marvel one came out, I was really annoyed with that because I felt, you know, they're putting it out as a, as a, as a DVD movie. It should be movie length. It should be at least 90 minutes, I mean, to, in order to tell a complete story. And this kind of 70-minute standard length for these animated films is really kind of bugging me. Although It's I, an interesting I think, length, too, because yeah. it's – when I remember when I was watching it, I was thinking, okay well here's a break they could put in a commercial here's a break they could put in a commercial exactly. so they could put it on you, tv if they wanted to yeah you've, you've hit upon the reason for the 70 minute length right because that makes it an hour and a half window in in broadcast television as opposed to a 90 minute requires a two-hour window right exactly um yeah i think it definitely could have been longer because as i said i would like to have seen more story i think they could have fit more from the comic story into this without it seeming crowded because it did feel a little thin to me um, one of the, the one thing that almost stole the show on the DVD though is there's a a preview clip and I think they showed it at San Diego but a preview clip for uh, New Frontier the next movie that they're doing with they have some of the animation done so they showed a little bit of of what they had done for New Frontier and a lot of uh, uh, panels from the comics and character designs for the movie and that it, that one looks great I think that one will be really good yeah I really think that's going to be the out of out of the first batch from uh, DC. That's going to be the standout. I think so too. I think uh, um, it looks like it looks to definitely be the the, the most entertaining, um, and also a fairly safe choice in that the look of it will also be quite a bit like the standard DC animated look that we're we're used to. That I think all of these films are aimed at the audience for the probably the reason why these films are coming out is because the the DVD releases for all of the DC animated series have done really well. And I think they're looking at ways to try to, to capitalize on that. And so I think these are aimed pretty squarely at people who are buying the, the DVDs of Superman and Batman and justice league. And uh, this will look very similar to it, I think. So I want to get in one other small thing in this section, uh, front part here, the reviews and interviews. Um, this is another one of my clips from Dragon Con. Um, this is part of the uh, question and answer session with Lori Petty. A couple of things she's better known for would be the film Tank Girl. Um, to a lot of audiences, she'd pretty much only be known, uh, including my wife, as uh, the girl, from, the little sister from uh, uh, League of Their Own. Uh, but uh, my, my question to her in the question and answer was regarding uh, animated work for DC. She was the character Livewire in uh, Batman the Animated Series and Superman the Animated Series. Although, uh, as you'll see from her answer to the question, uh, she's a little miffed at, at someone else taking over the role for Justice League. Uh, speaking of having superpowers, what can you tell us about Livewire and, and uh, Livewire? Genius. But what happened was, let me tell you, and 
you probably know this, um, but Livewire is the only um, character that's been on Superman and Batman. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> um, yeah, she was on Batman and Superman. And then Warner Brothers, I have this effect on studios, I don't know. Warner Brothers shut down their uh, animation division. So they haven't made cartoons for like five years or seven years, a long time. So wherever they went next, I guess somebody else did Livewire or something. I don't know why, but no one called me, so. I loved it, it was great, it was really, really fun. And doing voice work is really, really fun. Because boys in particular are so crazy. They show up and they don't take a bath because you know they're actors, but they're just doing voiceover, so they show up in their in their pajamas and shit. You know, like it was a Jesus Christ, just because you don't have to <laughs> So you're all sitting like in a little semicircle and they're all just like TM and not each other. I don't know, it's kinda of funny because they just they're silly. But it's really fun to do uh, cartoons. Could you just act like a retard and it's okay. <laughs> yeah, so it was also one of the few characters that was uh, created specifically for the show. Was wasn't based on anybody from any of the comics. And for the record, that's uh, actually the first time in the history of the superhero cinema podcast that I've had to bleep. <laughs> and, and in that in that one minute and twenty second clip of her, I had to bleep three times, and that would have been probably the least number of bleeps of any section of the hour that I listened to her. <laughs> had had I taken any longer of the hour, I would have had to do a lot more bleeps. Oh, these potty mouth celebrities! What are you going to do? I think they get free reign to say whatever they want out there, Comic Con. Well, they do. They pretty much. <laughs> now let's go ahead and get on with the news from the last couple weeks. Let's talk news. You can always get additional info and links to these stories on our website, superherocinema.com. The front page of the site always keeps you updated on the latest info about superhero movies and TV shows from all over the web. So first up, we've got the biggie, the Iron Man trailer. How many times have you watched it so far? Oh, it- I haven't watched it a lot, a lot of times since initially watching it. But in the first half an hour, I watched it probably about six times and watched it almost frame by frame. <laughs> uh, there's a couple watershed kind of moments for me in terms of superhero movies and my kind of fascination with it. Uh, the first one, this will date me, is uh, at eight years old, seeing the first newspaper ad for Superman the movie, which was nothing but an entirely black solid newspaper page with a white Superman logo in the center. It was probably the most excitement I'd ever had in my eight-year-old life at that time, uh, was seeing that, uh, you know, that there was going to be a live-action Superman movie out. Uh, the second one was in 1989, the first trailer for the Batman movie with Michael Keaton. Um, I just had such anticipation for that trailer. I'd been following news about that film for years. Back then, it would have been a lot harder to follow, follow yeah. news about it. Yeah. yeah, I wrote my first college paper about that film. And uh, that first trailer coming out was just incredible. It just felt like it was something that I'd waited so long for. And now the third one would be that Iron Man trailer. I just thought it was one of the – it was probably the most exciting trailer I've ever seen. Um, it just really knocked my socks off. Yeah, I was really it was a really good trailer. I was, I was interesting trailer though. I really enjoyed it. it. Had great action scenes, and you know, not being steeped in Iron Man lore myself, I, I got a real kick out of you know being able to see Robert Downey Jr. being with his swagger and his attitude and his confidence being uh, Tony Stark from the very beginning, and then progressing of the storyline. But I thought the most interesting thing 
was that this wasn't a teaser trailer. This was a full-on trailer. Not only it, that, but it really kind of spells the plot of the movie out to you. I mean, it at least the first part of yeah, the Yeah, definitely the, the initial kind of getting him to where he gets to. First third of the film, I would guess, is pretty well spelled out in that trailer. But exactly. God, visually, it was just stunning. I was just so blown away by how good it looked. That's the thing that I think is going to impress me. And also by the, the bits of dialogue that we got to hear how sharp it was. You know, the, the looked like Robert Downey Jr. was really sharp and quick and, and dialogue was really unusual that, that Hollywood is able to write stuff that's serious yet funny. Yeah, smart dialogue on a character. And that's and you would hope for that from John Favreau because, I mean, that's been kind of his trademark before. And you would hope that doing a superhero film, he wouldn't do it so many writers and directors do they like you know do all these films that are you know they take seriously so they put all this care into the dialogue and make the characters real and then they do a action adventure superhero film and they figure okay all that goes out the window it's just crap let's 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 you know make something for the kids to keep them excited every five minutes you know exactly either that or they they either take the thing too seriously and and drain all the humor out yeah. of it yeah that's or it. they make it they play it for laughs and they make it stupid right and these guys have really made something that's more something that you know, i mean that Movies that are really action movies that are really successful are the ones that kind of straddle this line, I think, between humor and serious jeopardy for the characters. And it looks like this is definitely going to do that. Yeah. And one of the things that really, really knocked me out, which I know Jonathan completely 180 degree disagrees with me on, was the music. I thought the music of the trailer was just incredible. I thought it really pulled you along through the trailer, and I thought it was it was dead on for what it needed to be, uh, particularly the use of of the. Uh, Iron Man song. Um, I, I know John Favreau follows, you know, internet. He he has his own MySpace page. It has a it has commentary and forums on it that he responds to. A lot of the things that have come out about this movie have been him responding to people posting information, you know, posting questions on his MySpace MySpace page. And when the film kind of first really got rolling, and and you know, before they'd even started shooting, when they first announced that the film was happening, before there was even any casting, one of the first things that was on there on his page of people discussing and kind internet chatter was that the first trailer had to include the Iron Man song that it was just kind of an immediate association that that was where the level of excitement would be that 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 people were ready to be you know excited by a trailer that you know had Iron Man to that music you know and particularly because to the majority of the world that's their only association with that name I mean the the name Iron Man to them is immediately going to conjure up the song not the comic book character because they don't know it so to immediately tie those two together you've got an immediate association in people's minds that you know they know that song and now they're going to have an image you know of this film from the trailer you know going into trying to sell the film yeah I get what you're saying <laughs> I understand but you think I'm full of crap <laughs> I sense a butt coming <laughs> but it's just taking a song that has the words Iron Man in it and slapping it on this movie. But it's I mean, a really I don't think cool song. It, I, it is a very cool song. I mean, I love Black Sabbath. Ozzy, Ozzy was the man in those days. But I think that it's just it's like taking any sort of song that has the word Superman in it and attaching it to a Superman movie. It's not always going to work. And I think, you know, yeah, it's, this is, you know, really hard rock, heavy metal song. But I just don't think it goes with the, the character, with the... The intention of this movie, and I think that they're just pandering to the masses. I mean, as the, the typical person who's going to, you know, not know anything about Iron Man, not know anything about comics or anything like that. They may oh, have heard this song before. They'll see this the whole, trailer. 
the whole was point it? of a trailer is to pander to the yeah, masses. Yeah, that, that is the point of a, of, a, of a trailer. That now, is true. I mean, but I think this is just too too much of an obvious way to do it. Well, and I don't think yeah, – I, I think this is the last time we're going to ever hear this song in relation to this film. It's not going to be the theme song of the movie. You know, It's not going to – it might play during the movie, but I'd be really surprised if it did. Um, for one thing, the, what they had to pay for the licensing to get the song probably was such that it probably would not be able to be in the film itself. They would have paid a, a significant amount of money just to have it in this first trailer – just to immediately get people's attention. Right. It's it's more than likely that the, the music for the film, they haven't even started working on it. Yeah, yet. that's that's one of the last things that's usually done on any feature film. Very rarely is the music in the trailer for a movie actually in the movie. It's usually stuff from other movies. Right, it's usually stuff from other trailers or other movies. Yeah, you, you tend to hear a lot of the same, the same song in a lot of movie trailers. Well, there was another little tidbit of a song that was in there that's called uh, Hey Man, Nice Shot by Filter, and that was during the whole... You know, um, him shooting everybody and taking everybody down, and I thought that was kind of neat. But I, again, it's like you're you're taking the lyrics to a song, and you're matching it with the scene instead of yeah. I mean, you can even do just like regular some sort of instrumental soundtrack to go with this. So yeah, I, I understand think, what you, know, you guys are coming from, yeah. but I just think that there's too much. It's totally appropriate for a trailer. Yeah, I don't I think, think I would like exactly it. Exactly what you want to do in a first trailer. If yeah, if, if they if they did the song in an action scene in the film, I think that might be a little silly. But I thought it was great for a trailer. My, when I showed the trailer to my wife, she laughed out loud. She thought it was hilarious when they started playing the song. It was pretty funny. I'll admit that. So to go to to talk about what's actually in the trailer itself, I mean. One thing that it did establish for us, um, we you know, just to kind of go back a couple of months for people who you know haven't haven't listened to the show all the way through. One of the first stories we kind of did on Iron Man was talking about the casting, and there's a uh, Middle Eastern actor, uh, Sean Tube. Um, he's actually a British actor, but uh, you know, Middle Eastern ancestry um, was cast in the film, and we didn't know what character he was going to play. There was a lot of speculation that he was going to be the Mandarin, which didn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, now, now we know clearly that he is he's the man who actually helps him. You know, create the suit and helps him. You know, actually puts the device into his heart to keep his heart beating. Um, that he's definitely not the Mandarin, uh, but it also tells us that we still now have no idea who the Mandarin is actually going to be in the film. John Favreau has still said that he's in the film, but uh, in what capacity we don't know, and who's playing him, we have no idea. But uh, now at least we answered the mystery of who Sean Tube is playing. We still don't know the name of the character. In the in the original comic, it was an Asian character, and his and his name was Professor Yinsen. I, w- I would imagine that's not going to be the case here. Uh, but yeah, I mean the, the trailer made me very excited about the film, and as I've said before. I have no investment in Iron Man whatsoever. I don't know that I even own any Iron Man comics. I've read a few here and there, but I've never one way or another really had that much interest in the character. But I'm getting more and more excited about seeing the film now, especially after having seen this. I think it's going to be a sharp, well-made film. Well, I don't want to be seen as an Iron Man trailer hater. I do <laughs> I like it. That's yeah. Go with your I opinion. Th- yeah, I thought it, I thought overall it was good. I liked the action. I guess I was just taken aback because it was so different from other trailers that I've seen. It wasn't a teaser trailer. It had you know two popular music songs in, and it was pretty much a, a linear storyline. I mean, they didn't touch on any of the supporting characters, and um, you know they didn't go into any sort of conflict that he may have coming up. So I was a little surprised, but as as just in and of itself. It was a good nugget. I liked it. Well, and we get to see all the all the secondary characters. Though we see Terrence Howard, uh, we we see uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. We, we we see Gwyneth Paltrow in there, and we get to see her with the red hair, which is you know right off the bat going to be something that's going to get people's attention because people know Gwyneth Paltrow, but they don't know her with red hair, so that will uh, kind of catch their their attention. We see uh, Jeff Bridges, and uh, we see a lot of. Uh, 
Robert Downey Jr., which is what, which you, what you want. I mean, you're, you're selling it on the strength of Robert Downey Jr. And we don't see the Mandarin. No, no, we see nothing about the Mandarin. <laughs> so, Jonathan, tell me this. Did the trailer make you want to see the movie? The trailer does make me want to go see the movie. Okay, mission accomplished. Score one for John Favreau. Favreau. Only purpose. That's the only purpose for the trailer. Uh, one of the next Marvel movies, but although not from Marvel, uh, from Fox, Wolverine has been confirmed that it will start shooting in November in Sydney, Australia. It's part of the whole uh, trying to get things going and in the can as quickly as possible before uh, potential strikes. Any other casting that we know about yet besides no. Hugh Jackman? That's it. No, no actual official casting. Um, Any plot we know of? Nope. Wolverine's the best at what he does. Yeah, what we, else do you need to we, know? We, we know there's a script. We know there's a director. We know there's a star who's also the producer. And we know that they're shooting in Sydney, Australia in November. That's pretty much it so far in terms of confirmed information. In fact, uh, just to give you a little bit of follow-up on the strike situation, it's basically three guilds that are involved with, with Hollywood with with major TV and major film production. You've got the Writers Guild, the Directors Guild, and Actors, actors. Guild. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you got the Writers Guild, the Directors Guild, and the Actors Guild. The Writers Guild contract is actually up in October. Um, they have not come to any agreement, although the speculation right now is that the Writers Guild is going to continue working. They're not going to tell their writers to stop working um, in October when the contract ends, uh, basically with the hope of getting a better deal by waiting to see what happens with the Directors Guild and the Actors Guild. Um, the Directors Guild and the Actors Guild contracts end next July. So that's kind of the deadline for the studios. And, and this has happened. I mean, this happens every couple years. It's very cyclical. Um, usually it's only one or two maybe at a time that have their contracts up for renewal and for, for discussions and talks. And it's a rare situation where within a one-year period or within a six-month period, you're going to have all three guild contracts end and the potential of a strike from any or all of them. So the Writers Guild is going to kind of hold off to see if they get a better bargaining position by waiting to see you know, how tough the Directors Guild and the Actors Guild get with the producers and the studios. And uh, so that's, that kind of makes July a deadline um, where the, the studios and the networks will try to stockpile. They will, they'll try to like, you know, get as many shows as they can get done for like next year's new season, you know, not even like this season, the year after this one. They'll try to get as much shot probably over the summer. Most TV shows, it means that they probably will not have a break. Like they'll finish this season and immediately start trying to get six or seven episodes shot prior to the new season starting so that they have stuff in case there's a strike. And then same thing with feature films. They'll try to make sure that they have a whole bunch of films shot that they can be working on during the strike if they have to um, so that they can still have feature films coming out during that time. It's always an ugly situation. Um, most of the time it gets resolved beforehand. I, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see next summer. Um, there's really no way to know till then unless some you know, miraculous thing happens and they all find a way to amicably settle their differences and get contracts signed in advance of the contracts ending. That has happened as well, so there's just no way to know. Um, as it stands right now, the, the talks are not going well with any of the three guilds, and so you know we don't know where it's going to end up. Well, I've got plenty to read, so I'm not too worried about uh, not having any movies to watch or TV shows to watch for a few months. Yeah, I guess I could actually go outside and enjoy nature. That would probably work as well. Uh, now you're just talking crazy talk. <laughs> um, let's see. The other Marvel movie, Incredible Hulk, uh, that is actually being produced by Marvel. They are shooting right now, and there have been some photos from the set, mostly just background imagery. Uh, they're, they're shooting uh, in Canada, but right now they're shooting on sets that are made to look like Harlem. So there is some kind of knockdown, drag-out battle in the streets of Harlem involving the Hulk. 
Um, we'll have to you know wait and see for for what that'll be. But uh, there's there's some photos about that. But it, it just does tell us that, that they have officially began uh, principal photography and uh, moving forward on that. No actual photos of of uh, you know what any of the principal characters look like in in costume or anything. There's been a showrunner change on Bionic Woman, uh, the new series on NBC. Um, kind of explain a term here, showrunner. In uh, television, when you've got a series, you've got producers and writers and directors just like you do in feature films, but the roles are very much different. In a feature film, the final kind of creative word is the director. Um, the director is is kind of the one person who oversees the whole thing creatively, and it's, and it's considered more of a director's vision. Uh, the writer works on the script before the film actually starts, and once the film starts, the writer may be involved, the writer may not be involved. That's pretty much up to the director. In television, it's completely reversed. In television, directors are hired hands. Um, over the course of an entire season, you might have five or six different directors, maybe even more, directing the series. They might come in, have you know one episode that they're doing, they work on that episode, they shoot it, um, they hand it over, and other people take it over, and then they're on to the next job. And a new director comes in the next week. So a director is more of a craftsman. On, on a television than they are in a feature film. The real kind of creativity on a, on a television series is the writers. And quite often in television, the writers are the producers. Um, so that the, the writing room, the, the panel of people who are writing over the course of the show, quite a few of them might be producers, but there'll always be one of them who is, who is the person who's actually responsible for overseeing the entire creativity of the show over the season, who's actually responsible for taking the scripts from beginning. They might not write them themselves, but they'll oversee the other writers. They'll get kind of final writing on it. They might rewrite parts of the scripts that other writers have written. Um, they'll see the episodes through, you know, a director will actually shoot it, but then the head writer will kind of take it over again and still see it through the editing and through the final version of the show. So kind of the exact opposite of, of in uh, feature films. So that person who is kind of the head of the writers, who's the main person overseeing the entire show over the life of the season is called the showrunner. And so that's kind of the position on a television show that is the person who really is responsible for the creative vision of what a series is like, of what's going to be, you know, what are what will be the continuous elements from one week to the next, what will be the things that might, arcs that might cover the, the entire series or definitely the entire season or runs of episodes. It'll be the showrunner who will kind of oversee that. And uh, so on, on uh, the new series Bionic Woman, about four weeks into the new series, uh, they've lost their showrunner. Uh, Glenn Morgan, who had been the showrunner, has left over creative differences with the producers. And uh, the main producer, David Icke, who is also one of the main producers on Battlestar Galactica, he's taken over the role of showrunner on this show. But a diff- another writer, Jason Kadams, um, he's, he's the sh- he was the showrunner last year on Friday Night Lights, and he was also the showrunner on Roswell has been brought in as a creative consultant. They've not actually he's not taken over the role of showrunner because he's still gonna be busy doing that on Friday Night Lights, but he's going to be overseeing the show much more creatively. David Icke will be the showrunner, but he's less of a writer. He's more of a producer. Um, that's that's kind of the role he does in Battlestar Galactica. He's he's kind of the head producer and you've got a, another writer on that who is the showrunner on Battlestar Galactica. So uh, not having seen the show, it's it's really gonna be hard to tell, you know, that's that's 
sometimes that can be a good thing. Sometimes a change of showrunner can take a show that wasn't doing really well or, you know, creatively kind of was a good idea but wasn't really doing what it wanted to do and takes it in a new direction. The new showrunner comes in and has a different idea and the show kind of has new life to it. And uh, kind of, you know, they, they sometimes shows have changed showrunners from one season to the next. You've had one show that kind of felt one way, you know, for whole seasons and then, you know, the main person on it leaves to go do something else and they bring in a new showrunner and the show takes on a whole new direction and might be better. Uh, might be more interesting with Bionic Woman. We'll just have to see. We'll kind of you know take a look and see. You know, have the first four episodes. Do they have one sort of feel to it, and then everything after is just kind of changes course, and it could be better, could be worse. Could you know it could suck to begin with and continue sucking afterwards? Who knows? Um, it's still too early to tell, but just kind of something to know as a as a heads up for it. Well, I have my secret source, and I've already seen the first episode of Bionic Woman. That and, secret uh, source being what blockbuster. <laughs> it's actually TiVo. Oh, okay. I, uh, I'm a loyal TiVo fan, and um, I connect via broadband. And there's this feature called Amazon Unbox. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And they're they're offering up all the uh, NBC pilots for free to TiVo users. And uh, so that was one of the shows that I grabbed, Bonic Woman, and I saw it earlier tonight. And uh, I don't want to spoil it for anybody yeah, who's going to be watching it next it week. Actually, yeah. next week. Yeah. Right. Just tell me whether I should, whether it's worth an hour of my life to watch. The first episode, I would say, would be worth uh, the 45 minutes. Ugh, who watches commercials these days? Yeah, that's true. But uh, yeah, but I'm not sure if it's got staying power. You know, we'll just have to see how the showrunners and creative consultants do. So I, I'll watch the second one, but I'm not sure if I'll. If that one doesn't grab me, they won't have me for the rest of the season. Yeah, see if, see if maybe the original guy should have left after two episodes. Okay, uh, speaking of pilots um, and new series, <laughs> um, the pilot for the Blade series, which has already been canceled, um, has just come out on DVD yesterday. Uh, that's, uh, the, the series was just called Blade the Series. Um, the pilot, they released on DVD called uh, Blade House of Cthon, which was one of the kind of running subplots on the series. It was a 13-episode series. Aired on Spike TV last summer, uh, but did not get renewed, so you know won't be coming back. Although I mean, if if the DVD does particularly well, it's it's possible, but it's already been a year, so I think it's incredibly unlikely that that the show would come back. Oh, the show's infrastructure will have dissipated by now. They might be able to get the act, the main actor, back, and then just kind of retool the entire series around him. Yeah, but he was recast from the films anyway, so they wouldn't even necessarily need to do that. And he did. I mean, I I watched the pilot when it was on TV, and he didn't particularly distinguish himself. I thought he was okay. He was a good Wesley Snipes stand-in, but yeah. I watched the entire series and I actually liked it and thought that he was the weakest thing in it. I thought really? that I thought that the actual world that they created around him and the characters, the secondary characters and the running subplots that they had outside of Blade were much more interesting, much more fascinating than the Blade character himself. I thought he was kind of the blandest thing in the entire series. Uh, my guess is that they're releasing the pilot separately as just kind of a testing the waters that if this sells well, then they'll go ahead and release the entire 13 episodes on DVD. But if this doesn't do well, then they just won't even bother doing that. I'm, sh- I'm pretty sure that that was the only purpose of releasing this pilot. Although, you know, I, I, it's my impression that, that TV series on DVD is a huge moneymaker for most studios. It is. So um, I can't imagine them not doing it at some point. But I think you're right. I think they're probably just being timid since it is a canceled the canceled half season yeah. show. Yeah, I think if it tanks the the sale of the pilot, they, then they will skip it. 
Um, Spectacular Spider-Man, the uh, new animated series that's coming, and I can't remember what network it's going to be on right now, um, but it'll be starting, I believe, in January, mid-season. Um, yeah, I was going to ask if you had a premiere date for it. Yeah, it's not going to be in the fall. It, it's actually, I believe, going to be in January. But uh, this, the the animated series, which is still in production now, they, they, they obviously are already happy with what they're seeing because it was initially ordered uh, for 13 episodes to be made. They've gone ahead and up to the order from uh, 13 to 26 episodes. So that's a good sign that that the studio and you know whatever network it's going to run on likes what they see and say you know go ahead and make more because we we're pretty sure we're going to want to run them. Well, maybe they got some positive feedback from uh, Comic Con as well. Yeah, that, that's be... pro- probably was part of it because they did show the uh, teaser for it at Comic Con. Not really as the same note, but there was so, something I did want to mention while we're talking about uh, made for cable television series. Um, I want to give a little mini review of the season finale to the 4400, which oh, was okay. on on Sunday. Yep, I watched it. It was phenomenal. It was, I thought it was great. It was one of the best season finales to a series I'd seen in a while. And I think it's kind of a pity that the 4400 is a, it's a short season, summer season cable show that probably not that many people watch. Yeah, they do 13 episodes really- every summer, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's great. And you know, anybody who likes heroes would probably like this show. It's not quite as glamorous or archetypical as heroes. It's not I mean, heroes is very carefully constructed to to fuel water cooler conversations at work. And the forty four hundred isn't as maybe not quite as slick, but definitely would appeal to the people who like those kinds of stories. People who like you know, Claremont's run on X-Men is what Heroes always reminds me of. That kind of drama with lots of characters and... and every moment's a big moment, yeah. Yeah, every moment's a big moment. The characters are developing superpowers as the core of the plot of the series. Now, it wasn't when this series first started, but that's where definitely where they've shifted to over the last few years. Yeah, 4400's more kind of the smaller personal moments. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's yeah, like I said, it's not as flashy as Heroes, but it's it definitely anybody who likes Heroes would, would enjoy it. And I'd highly recommend uh, going over to Netflix and picking up the, the first four seasons and then season five, especially when it comes out. I was really impressed by the by the finale. And I've always watched the show and I've always liked it. But this season I've really liked and this this episode in particular, I just thought was phenomenal. They always have with 4400, they always do a, a kind of montage of hitting major things with all our characters in the last like two minutes. It like plays to music and we get these like... Like really big big moments with each of the characters, and that worked. I thought that that was great. I thought that just I it, it didn't top the one from two seasons ago, which was just really struck it out of the park for for that series in terms of left you going, oh my god, I can't believe they did that. I have to know what happens next year, and and because of that, I thought that that's why the following year was so much so disappointing because it could not lift up lived up to the promise of that final moment from from the end of the final episode from the from the previous year. And this year, I felt that they did do it, but not nearly as good. Yeah, not nearly as strong, but I, I think what they may have been trying for is maybe trying to have it both ways. I mean, they're they're trying to keep you intrigued so that if they get another season, you'll watch. But at the same time, they know that they're a cable series, and and it's always totally up in the other way that they'll get another season. And so I think they're maybe they're trying to not infuriate their viewers too much, just in case there isn't. Uh, a sixth season but yeah I do like the show overall I do definitely recommend people rent the DVDs um, it definitely if you start at the beginning you'll be surprised because the show's not what it seems to be at the beginning it, at the beginning it seems like it's going to be a straight sci-fi film about abduction and then pretty quickly on so you know, a couple episodes in you kind of realize that, that it is essentially trying to do an, an X-Men crossed with a soap opera kind of feel to it it's, it's a superhero show in all but name really 
So uh, one last story for the news. Um, Spider-Man 3 uh, will be coming out on DVD October 30th, and when it does, Sony is going to be giving it the full-court press. Um, they're going to be doing about five different uh, tie-ins with different products, with restaurants. It's going to be on Papa John's boxes. It's going to be on, like, Doritos, I think. It's, it's so like, we're going to be totally sick of hearing about yeah, it before. Yeah, the, you're going to get a blitz of it. You know. But, uh, I mean, I know last time we were talking, and... and you guys were saying you weren't sure how big a release Spider-Man Three was going to be based on, you know, r- you know, response to the to the feature film. But I think Sony's going to just blitz the uh, advertising for it and really have a huge awareness and really try to knock it out for it being a huge DVD release, particularly on Blu-ray. And, you know, there's still so much in this in this heated battle of HD versus uh, HD DVD versus Blu-ray with with Sony being the main backer of, of Blu-ray and Spider-Man being Sony's tentpole franchise for the studio. They're really going to try to hammer home you know spider-man 3 being a huge high definition release and because it's sony a high definition release only on blu-ray um one one kind of part of that that they're going for is it's going to be the first high definition dvd release where all the extras on it will be in high definition um usually the 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 film itself is is in hd but then you know the supplemental extras the behind the scenes movies things like that are usually in standard definition and uh for spider-man 3 everything on both discs it's a two disc set will all be in 1080 i uh high definition well, even though you may uh, put some lipstick on that dog, I don't, I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm going to buy it. Quit. Regardless Quit. of that, would you buy the movie Spider-Man Three on DVD? I'd have to say I probably would, just as a completion thing of, of having it with the other two. Uh, yeah, I used I, to be I, that. I won't that buy way. the Blu-ray. I probably will rent the Blu-ray from Netflix. Yeah, I still think you know the the high def is great, but I don't have a high def player, and even if I did, I still don't think I would would want to see Spider-Man Three again. I mean, maybe just once but i don't think i would buy it i like you i would probably rent the high definition version just to watch it i may pop over to your place just to yeah. just to watch it <laughs> it was take wh- advantage of that it was worth getting the ps3 for it um that's it for the news this week but keep checking it out at superherocinema.com every day now let's get on the rumor treadmill where stories hop on and off pretty quickly hi this is lou ferrigno from DragonCon. you are listening to the superhero cinema podcast they're saving the world one fan at a time Okay, um, we, we went really long on the news, so I'm going to try to really quickly go through the rumors. There's really not a whole lot. Um, one is that uh, Kevin McKidd, who was in the series Rome and is starring in the new series Journeyman on NBC, uh, it'll be on After Heroes this year, um, is potentially up for the role of Thor. He'd been asked about it, um, and after saying that he did meet with the producers and did interview about it, he says that he's, you know, probably not going to be up for the Thor role itself, but that he may be up for the Donald Blake role. Can you do one but not the other? Um, it depends on how they're going to do it. If they're going to do you know, Thor as uh, – you know, I imagine they would do Thor as kind of a more bodybuilder, muscle-type guy and Donald Blake is more of a regular guy and that, that would be Kevin McKidd. I, I would imagine those announcements will come in the next two months or so. They start shooting in November, so we'll have to find out pretty soon. Um, next one is uh, kind of a fallout story from the Iron Man trailer coming out. Um, I didn't talk about it there just because I did feel it kind of fell into the rumor camp, although uh, it's it's a rumor that's almost already been dispelled. Um, is that uh, in the trailer you've got the amazing CGI scene with Iron Man uh, out racing the uh, jets in uh, midair. And uh, it had been said that that scene uh, may or may not actually be in the film. And a lot of rumors started popping up. I think it was based on a, kind of an erroneous, misunderstood statement in, in an article that 
that Iron Man would not fly in the film, that they had only done that scene specifically for the trailer. And John Favreau did respond, of course, on his MySpace page, <laughs> letting people know that, yes, the, the scene was done early and was done specifically for the trailer. So that scene itself may or may not be in the final film because they may redo some of the CGI. They may go for something different. I mean, it was something to get it into the trailer, as we said, for the trailer to get your attention and to make you want to see the film. It's not uncommon for things to be shot or things to be done in trailers that doesn't end up in the final film. That happens all the time. But he did say that Iron Man will fly. Yeah, God, internet commentators, and I shouldn't be saying this because <laughs> because you're an internet commentator. <laughs> but there, there's and everyone but me, I guess, is this way. It seems like sometimes they're just looking for things to complain about, and when they don't have anything to complain about, they invent stories so that they can complain about them. It's pretty, pretty bizarre. I've never seen a group of people who are so intent on being unhappy as uh, most of the people who uh, who are out there posting on uh, internet message boards. Well, I'd like to complain about your story about internet complainers. I think that's <laughs> <real> crap. <laughs> yeah, please direct your uh, complaints to uh, Superhero Cinema. So uh, actually we talked about this last time and I forgot to implement it this week that we would start doing a rating system for rumors that uh, just like we've got the um, rating system for feature films telling you – how to you know whether the feature film is worth your dollars and basically kind of judging with your dollars so that you know if it's worth a movie ticket or multiple movie tickets or a rental or a purchase of the DVD um, for internet room or for rumors on feature films or just rumors in general that would rate them on the Gyllenhaal scale. And uh, this, right. this would be based on the fact that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Maggie Gyllenhaal, the brother and sister acting team, um, <laughs> are so frequently the source of rumors um, or the subject of rumors related to superhero films. Maggie Gyllenhaal was rumored for a lot of stuff and then for a long time was a rumor about her being in Batman Begins with a lot of other actresses being considered for the role. And she didn't ultimately get the role. So so if a, if a rumor kind of sounds realistic to us or we think it kind of sounds like it might really happen – um, then it's a Maggie. If uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, who's been up f- supposedly for a lot of superhero roles, specifically Spider-Man, um, that he was is a strong rumor that he would be replacing Tobey Maguire and Spider-Man at one point um, when he might not have been available. Jake Gyllenhaal was supposedly considered, but this has never been established as truth. And uh, since then, he's he's been the subject of a lot of other internet rumors for stuff. Uh, most recently was a rumor, and this kind of was what made us think about it, is that the rumor was that the two of them would be up for the role of the Wonder Twins in a Justice League film. So if a rumor doesn't seem really <laughs> truthful or it just seems like you know, something from a British tabloid or something that's just pure internet speculation, then it's a Jake. So uh, of these, I would say the Kevin McKidd as Donald Blake is a potential Maggie. That could be a Maggie, sure. It's uh, it's certainly feasible. He certainly looks the part. He's kind of yeah. If Journeyman does well, he's kind of hot for the, in the moment, you know. At the other hand, if Journeyman does well, he'll be busy making the show, and he might not be able to get away to make a. Major... Yeah, that's true. If they start in November, that that wouldn't coincide with the hiatus that he would have. Um, and Iron Man not flying—that's definitely a Jake. Yeah, that's since that's all pretty much already been disproven. That's. That's the Jake squared right there. (laughs) So that's it for our rumors this time around. We'll keep following these stories so you don't have to. That's going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, Stay subscribed, and if you have anything for us, please email us at podcast at superherosinema.com or call us and leave a voicemail at uh, 303-800-HERO. That's 303-800-4376. Thank you once again, Jefferson and Jonathan. Thank you, Michael. And thank you, Michael.
And thank you, as always, to our listeners for joining us. We hope you keep showing up for Superhero Cinema. We're saving the world one fan at a time. You don't have to do the closing music. Oh, uh, ba 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 da, news, news, here is the news, do do, superior cinema. Mm, 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 mm. Such a shame that you don't save this. Ta da! Boom, here we go again. Oh, here we go again. Mm, 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 mm. Rumors, yeah. I think I'm going to save that as my voicemail message. <laughs> <laughs> you send me over a copy, too. <laughs>